You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Episode 98, coming in hot. Yeah, episode 98 of the Roundtable podcast. We are actually recording a few of these ahead of time so that we have... Spoiler alert. Well, no one's going to think that we actually came in Unless they the listen week to of the, Christmas. <laughs> hey, it's Christmas morning. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we wanted to record a few podcast episodes and then just kind of have them come out over the Christmas holidays. Because I know that as people are gathering as families, they the want to number listen. one question on their mind is, will there be a new episode of the North Peace Roundtable podcast? It's our gift to you. This is the gift that keeps on giving. So uh, thank you for tuning in. My name is Andrew, and with me as always is Corlin. Hello, hello. And Cameron is not here because we are recording uh, Monday afternoon. If you're a steady listener, you'll realize that we missed this week. Uh, Yes. And then... Usually we record Thursday mornings, but Corlin's taking the rest of this week off after today, and I'm not going to be in on Thursday because... We're celebrating our family Christmas early, but blah, 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 blah. Anyways, here we are. Bunch of reasons. Bada bing, bada boom. So we are going to be answering a few questions that came in um, from a couple of different people. So without further ado, I'm just going to read the question. Actually, I think there's maybe three questions within Within these these two kind of thing. You know what I mean? I like it. Um, So the first one is this. This person is referencing Matthew 5, uh, 17 to 20 where Jesus talks about the law and they they said this I've been thinking about this passage and wonder if you could speak on it I understand in this section Jesus is pointing out how the law has been distorted and he's describing what was intended Jesus clearly says he's not doing away with the law which some people take to mean the law is still in effect for us today I've been of the belief that the 10 commandments the moral laws are eternal, but the ceremonial laws are no longer in effect because we don't go to a temple and make sacrifices anymore. But what about the civil laws? Uh, I think the current land you live in, the sorry, I think the current land that you live in, their civil laws supersedes the Old Testament civil laws. Yay or nay? So that, I'm going to pause there because this person continues on, but then they kind of talk about the next section in Matthew. So maybe yeah. we'll answer that next. But that... That's a good question. Okay, so let me read the passage because some of you who don't know what Matthew 5, 17 through 20 says, you're like, huh? So this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, uh, for Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, this is kind of seen as his like, you know, ultimate teaching, right? He teaches in other places in the gospel, but the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like this big chunk of teaching. So... Early on, he's done the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, yep. blah, blah, blah. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And then he says in Matthew five seventeen, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then we all go, what? I have to, I have to keep the law perfectly. So I don't know, like, I think this person is asking a really good question. Okay, so Jesus says he's not doing away with the law. Does that mean that the entire Old Testament law is still in effect for us today? Or is it only parts of the law? Yes, if you've been going to church for most of your life, you probably realize we haven't been doing animal sacrifices on that yearly basis that the Day of Atonement would make us do or any of the other ones. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this is a question that Christians have been wrestling with uh, actually for a long time. Uh, Yeah. So you're not alone in, in asking this. Um yeah, I don't know. Where do, do you have an idea of where you want to start? Because I have my ideas of where I'd start answering this, but I'm curious. For you yeah, where, I mean, where would you start, Pastor Andrew? Oh, yes. Um, well, sh- uh, this person's right that the rest of the the couple of thoughts, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes what were common interpretations of the law and basically says, like, 
that's actually not what it's meant to be. Like Jesus says uh, many times, you've heard that it was said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But I say this. So he'll say, um, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, which the law says don't commit adultery. Yeah. And then he says, but I say to you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus actually, he takes the law uh, and then he actually ups the ante and makes the law about your heart, not just about your um, outward performance of the law. Like he does that several times. He says, you know, you've heard that it was said um, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, actually turn your if someone slaps you, turn your cheek and let them slap you on the other side. So I, I think Jesus actually raises the bar on the law and makes it about our hearts because, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes and, you know, they could keep outward laws like, right. Okay. Don't murder someone. Check. Never murder someone, but yeah. I hate everybody. So yeah. Jesus says, well, actually it goes beyond just the outward. I have never physically murdered someone, but you hate someone. So it's like you've murdered them in your heart. So I think what Jesus is actually doing in the Sermon on the Mount is saying he's leveling the playing field when he says you won't see the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees. He's not saying some of you are able to do it. Yeah. What he's actually doing is leveling the playing field. As you keep reading the Sermon on the Mount, you go, oh, no one's righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. We're all hooped. Yeah. I think that's really the, the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus raises the bar so high because we can't do it. Yeah. Right. So that, I don't know, maybe that's a good place to start. Like when Jesus says you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, he's not saying that you can actually do it. Okay. Well, I can buckle down really hard and be more yeah. righteous than the Pharisees. The whole point is no, no one, one is more righteous no than one, the Pharisees and they still can't make it. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven based on the law. Yeah. Right. I think that's Jesus kind of whole point. Yeah. I don't know. Like, do you have any opening thoughts or? Yeah. I think an opening thought that I would put uh, forward is I, I think we will ask questions like which laws still apply to us. Yeah. And uh, there's one scholar I was listening to on this topic and I, I agree with him. He's like, it, in some respects, none of them. Sure. But in some respects, all of them. Sure. Right. And so if you, if, <laughs> I love it. It's right. Non answer. <laughs> it is. But at the same time, like when you think, like think about why the law was given in the first yeah. place. It was to set apart the nation. They would look different, right? So in our in our Bible, if you have an English Bible, ESV, NASB, NLT, NIV, something like that, there's 66 books. There is five books at the beginning of the Bible. And within those, they would be called the Torah, the instruction, the law. Uh, and sure. within those books, there is books like Leviticus, uh, and Exodus, and we see a ton of laws made. Exodus is where we see the Ten Commandments come yep. in. Yep. Um, but what is the law done for? It, it's to set the people apart from the other nations, to teach them to do what? And that what is answered by Jesus. Uh, yeah, totally. When, when one of the lawyers asks him, like, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, so in our Bibles, all 613 laws that you can count in the Old Testament are so that you do those two things well. Yeah. Yep. So in some ways, what applies to us? All of it, because yeah. we want to love the Lord our God, and we also want to love our neighbor as ourselves. But in some ways, like, I'm not an ancient Israelite living in the desert. Yeah. I'm a 21st century Canadian living in North America. In the snow desert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so in some ways there are some that don't apply. Yeah. So I think uh, not uh, for sure, not in the same way. And so what I would say is there is principles behind the law, no matter which of those 613 laws that we can look at and learn and gain wisdom from but I don't think that they're necessarily enacted exactly as stated in scripture. Yeah. So what I would mean by that is like, if, if you're not familiar with the law, uh, newsflash, the law isn't actually just about handling sin. There's civil laws, there's purity or, or righteousness laws. And then there's also just 
uh, oh, what's the other category? There's three. I can't remember the third, but like think, ceremonial, ceremonial. Yeah. So if you think of it, like if you go back and read the law, there's laws about menstruation mm-hmm. is menstruating a sin. I'm pretty sure most Christians would say no, no. Right. And so the law, there's lots of laws about stuff like that. I and mean, to be clear, even in the law, menstruation is not a sin. Yeah. It just makes you unclean. Yeah. And so that's so that ceremonially, that's not yeah. in a sin aspect. That's not like, oh, shoot, I am, uh, I would be in the middle of my menstrual cycle. I am sinning against God right sure, now. No. no. It's just that uh, an ancient Israelite view and, and the way God protected the Israelites is blood was something that would would make you unclean your blood someone else's blood the blood of an animal right anything that could symbolize like death so blood being outside of a body would mean something is not yep alive right the blood is the life force of that person so to speak yep so where i'm trying to bring this from is that if we look at the laws as wisdom like as wise instruction on how to live, then there's principles we can gain from it. Yeah. I think that's what Jesus is, is doing when he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but if you keep, if, as we kept reading, reading in that verse or the prophets, he's talking about the old Testament. I didn't come to do away with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I came to fulfill it. Yeah, right. Totally. So is there certain laws that we should keep? I mean, yeah, don't murder is a great one. But again, like Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've already done that in your heart. Yeah. So the law is, is we're unable to keep it. Yeah. I think the whole point you have to ask, like, what was the law for? Or how, how as a human being, how can I be made righteous? Because I think a lot of people say like, oh, in the Old Testament, people were made righteous through the law and they were not. People were made righteous through faith. Yeah. Uh, we're told that in in the book of Romans, Paul yep. really clearly says, like the law. Um, I'll just read a few things. Um, I would I would encourage you to read Romans one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Well, I mean, like yeah, eight, nine, ten, literally. Eight, well, yeah. Where do you stop? Read Romans. Like the first six chapters of Romans for sure are about like where do we get our righteousness and the yep. law and faith. And so he makes the case in Romans 1 that all of those Gentiles are under uh, under the penalty of death because they've rejected God. And then in chapter 2, he says, and actually all you Jews, you're under the same penalty because you have the law and you still aren't righteous. Yeah. And then chapter 3, he goes, not only is it Jew and Gentile, but it's actually like every human being ever. No yeah. one is righteous. No one can do good. And then he says, like, uh, in chapter 3, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So then uh, he goes into, uh, like, chapter the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, Abraham was not justified by the things that he did. He was justified by having faith in God. You know, we've been justified through faith. So again, you have to, like, remind yourself, okay, it's, it's not like the Israelites were justified and made righteous by how good they kept the law. The law was to show people what sin was and how no one could keep the law. Like that was the point. Like, so if you, if you want a good example of this, uh, Leviticus chapter 16 is a great place to start, uh, because they had all of these laws. So like we said, there's 613 total in, in scripture that all these laws about what to do if you sinned about what to do if you did wrong. Uh, and yet there is this day called the day of atonement, which was to atone for all of the sins of, of the nation mm-hmm. of Israel. Mm-hmm. So that would include the ones that you didn't even realize you had sinned when you did that. Right. Yeah. It's to make it so that by God's grace, you could continue living in relationship with him and mm-hmm. community with him and others. Yeah. So I think that the question is worded slightly wrong when we're like, okay, well, which laws do I have to keep? Cause again, usually when we talk like that, it's the idea of like, However subtly we say it, like, where's I'm, the line? I'm, no, well, that, but then also, like, it's this idea of, like, I'm mm. earning something. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see the angle. Which ones at. do I have to make sure I keep so that I'm earning something? And the gospel is that you have been completely justified by grace alone through, uh, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Like, you're justified fully because of what Jesus did, not yeah. by your adherence to the rules, right? Yeah. And yet Jesus says, like, um, I think that's his whole point 
in Matthew 5, I don't think Jesus is actually saying, if you want to get to heaven, you got to be righteous on your own. I think the whole point of the entire Sermon on the Mount is he's presenting a he's presenting a case where he's going, look, just like Paul does in Romans 1, 2, and 3, look, nobody's righteous. You actually can't do it. Yeah. And then and and then what he's doing is he's taking prideful people who go, well, pff, I've I've never committed adultery. I've never murdered someone. And Jesus says, well, actually, you, you have. And so what he's doing is he's leveling the playing field. Um, and yet, I would say there's lots in the New Testament, too, that tell us that we should we should long to obey Jesus because we've been made righteous, right? So mm. I, I shouldn't wake up in the morning and go, okay, what laws do I have to keep? I should wake up in the morning, and again, none of us do this perfectly because we're human, but you should wake up in the morning going, okay, how can I please Jesus today yeah. by how I live? Um, and I like that Jesus sums it up. Love God and love others. Yeah. If you can actually love God and love others, you will keep the law. Like if I love God, then I'm not going to have any idols in my life. If I love others, I'm not going to covet what they have and I'm yeah. not going to. Right. And so the whole point of the gospel is like Jesus did this perfectly for us because I wake up and I do covet what my neighbor has. And I wake up and I do look at people lustfully and I wake up and I do get mad with people. And so the whole point is, Okay, that doesn't affect your justification. Yeah. But your sanctification is over time, uh, you should be able to be freer and freer from sin, I and, guess, and right? And that's degree by degree, too. Yeah. Like, unless God graciously frees, like, totally, fully frees you from those. So, things. yeah, I think, so. you know, civil laws, like, yeah, we obey the law of Canada because Romans 13 tells us to. So I don't think we have to stress about like which civil laws in the Old Testament coincide with Canada's civil laws. Yeah. And I think we're actually missing the point when we're stressing about the law because even like, like the whole book of Galatians is you've been set free from the law. Yeah. Why are you going back to the law? Right. Yeah. So I've even I'll give you an example because, I, I you know, this person said like, you know, the Ten Commandments are for all time. But again, I think it's you're approaching it from the wrong like when I hear that, and again, I don't want to judge the person who asked the question. I don't assume when I have said things like that. Yeah. Okay. I got to keep the 10 commandments. It's just my checklist so that I can be righteous before God. Yeah. And the whole point is you will never be righteous before God on your own. So, but I know Christians were like, well, one of the 10 commandments is keep the Sabbath. I have to do no work on Sundays which I go a couple of things. Um, Sabbath is not Sunday. It's Saturday. Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Jesus said, like, I am the Sabbath, right? He said, like, something way better than the Sabbath is here. Yeah. And then Paul talks about, like, some people uh, think one day is better than the other. Some people think every day is great. Just have in your own mind your conviction and do what you want to do, right? Yeah. So for someone who's like, I must take one day off every week and do no work, okay. But don't put that burden on other Christians just because they don't, right? Yeah. So. Again, it's just such an interesting... It's how you approach the question, I think. Yeah. Right? I, I think all throughout Scripture, though, it's about the heart. Like, I think, oh, we, totally. I, get, I think we get the idea that, like, Old Testament, the Israelites had no idea that... Or nobody in the Old Testament had the idea that this was about the heart, that the law was how they gained their righteousness. And right. then Paul came along, or Jesus came along, and was like, it's actually by faith, and that's why nobody could understand this. And I I disagree. Um there's well, a yeah. part in the Old Testament where Moses, uh, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, and he is, um, how, you know what? I'm just going to read an excerpt from a, a blog, uh, and it says this. I, if I'm understanding the way this blog is written correctly, I believe this is in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 18. If you read that and you're like, ah, no, this makes no sense, I'll, I'll, we'll, we can try and find the reference and, and quote it. Uh, but it's somewhere within the first five books of the Bible, if, if I'm correct. And basically this blog says this, if Moses was a coach giving this speech to a team of players about to run onto the field, he would get fired. This is not the way to inspire people telling them that their failure is certain. 
So this <laughs> yeah. is before the Israelites go into the promised land. Yes, totally. As we mentioned earlier, Moses knows all about Israel's rebellious hearts. The Lord goes a step further and actually predicts Israel's continued rebellion and the, and the resulting exile yeah. from the promised land. But Moses has hope, and so should you. And so yeah. basically, Moses does predict, and God predicts, like, you will have a hard heart. It's yep. this, this idea that if your heart is not changed, you cannot be righteous. If your heart is not changed, you cannot live in a way that is pleasing to God. Yeah. So that's why Christ coming and paying for our sin is so necessary. Yeah. And then our hearts through faith by grace in him yeah. are changed so that we can live, right? Then that process that you said of sanctification starts where then as we live, we become the Holy Spirit convicts us of things so that yeah. then as we, I don't know, we are gluttons and we eat too much. And we're like, man, I didn't actually share this in a way that I should. Man, I, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against people. If we are greedy and we take more than what we deserve for money and whatnot, we can say, man, I, mm-hmm. I did not steward this wealth that God has given me well. Yeah. I, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against others. Yeah. When we commit adultery, then it's no longer just this idea of like, oh, well, I, whatever, it was just sex. It's like, I have sinned against God and yeah. I've sinned against us, right? And so your heart posture starts to change. And that's a slow process. Oh, like totally. as, I, I think sometimes when we talk about these things as being a process where instead of just like to walk away from just what can I do to be righteous to, okay, Christ is my righteousness. And now I want to live with a changed heart and will live with a changed heart. Mm that process is slow. So that like, I don't know how to say it other than take it from someone who's walked through sexual addiction, that process of degree by degree becoming more Christ-like mm-hmm. is slow more often than not. Yeah. Right. And yet even for myself, I can see where God is consistently poking yeah. and prodding and changing my heart. And and when I say poking and prodding, I don't even mean that gently as a like, Hey, you should maybe do this. Like, there are drastic things that have happened in my life to, yeah. to get me to walk more in accordance with God's <clears throat> will and, and to walk by the statutes that he's commanded. Yeah. And that, I think, is evidence then that you are a follower of Christ, not necessarily, okay, I have made sure that I lived by all 613 commandments in, or laws in yeah. the Bible. Yeah, I think it's really important as we seek to obey Jesus, your your justification and your righteousness before God is not based at all on how good you can obey Jesus. Yeah. Cause I know we say that, but Christians forget that all the time. And it's like, um, no, you are just like Paul, his whole point in like, you know, every letter he writes is like, you are justified by faith in Jesus. Justification means you're declared righteous. It's a legal term. You, and that's not affected by, how good you obey, right? Because I think sometimes, and this is how I grew up, it was kind of like I sinned and now my standing before God is in question. And it's like, no, it is not. Now, we can get into all sorts of rabbit trails about like a Christian who just willfully sins. Well, have they actually understood the gospel? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But when we say like, okay, which laws do I have to obey? I think it's sometimes it comes from a place of being like, I want to make sure I'm justified before God by how good I'm doing. It's like, well, the whole point of the law is that it's meant to show you that you cannot do this. You desperately need someone to come and perfectly obey for you and then credit that righteousness to you, which is what Jesus did. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I've heard it said, I think it was Tim Keller that said like religion says I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And the gospel is you are accepted, therefore you obey. And so I think that's really important. Our obedience to Jesus and and what the New Testament says, it comes out of the fact that I've been declared righteous. Well, of course I want to yeah. obey, however imperfectly, right? Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't think it's, it's maybe beneficial to stress over, okay, which commandments in the law from the Old Testament are binding today and which aren't. And I want to... I just think, okay, if you have actually been saved and declared righteous by Jesus, then Jesus, yeah, love God, love others. And then the spirit will sanctify you when he goes, oh, actually, you got an anger problem. 
we got to deal with that. Yeah. Okay. And then we bring that to Jesus and yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, the Christian life is continually being molded into the image of Christ. And so even like if you have an anger issue and God convicts you of that and you start to work on that, you get some counseling or, or you confess your sin to some brothers and sisters in Christ and, and you're walking with people and you might look at yourself and be like, man, I don't know how I'm ever going to get through this. Like, I don't know what life is like without this. Mm-hmm. You might hit a point where you're like, man, I'm doing pretty good. Three years down the road, you might be like, I'm actually still a pretty angry person. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's where then those are the kinds of moments where we as Christians and and I think I can talk for both of us on this point where we look and then we're like, I need Jesus. Yeah, totally. Desperately still today as much as I needed him then because I am not righteous of a, uh, in and of myself. I am not righteous no matter how much I try not to hate people, no matter how much yeah. I try not to lust for people in my heart, no matter like I yeah. cannot do this perfectly. And to be in the presence of Yahweh requires perfection. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll give you just an example, and then maybe we'll move on. Like, I don't think that the literal Sabbath is binding on Christians today. And I know there's Christians who disagree with me, but I I go, when you actually read what Jesus in the New Testament says about the Sabbath, I think there was something actually deeper and spiritual going on than just, you must take one day a week and literally do no work. Yeah. Because... What the what the Jewish people did is then they added all these other rules to make sure they were keeping the Sabbath and they weren't actually resting. Yeah. It's like you can only walk a certain amount of distance. You can only carry a certain number of pounds, a certain number of distance. You can't take anything out of your house or into your house, blah, 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 blah. And then Jesus comes and I love that Jesus says like, guys, the Sabbath was actually made for you, not you for the Sabbath. And then he says like something greater than the Sabbath is here. I think that actually the Sabbath was meant to show us you will never find spiritual rest until Jesus. And so for me, I'm like, there's a part of it where you go every day spiritually is a Sabbath because I'm not striving to earn salvation. And yet I go, should you take breaks and have time off? Yeah, totally. It's healthy too. But I, I like literally, this was probably maybe a month ago. Someone came and said like, oh man, I... With the where where I'm at, I come to church and then I have to work Sunday afternoon. So I'm really worried that I'm not keeping the Sabbath. And I said, like, sister, like you, you're stressing over something that I don't think you need to stress about. Yeah. Because it wasn't just like I'm physically tired and I don't get a break. It was I'm disobeying God because I have to go work a shift Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I went, I think you're stressing about something that you don't actually have to stress about, right? Yeah. So I think there's, like you said, there's principles. Should you work seven days a week nonstop? No, of course not. You need rest. But should you be stressing that you have to work a shift on a Saturday or a Sunday? No, I don't think so. Yeah, another aspect of this, one of the ways that I've heard it explained specifically around Sabbath is like, think of this. God gave Adam and Eve a job to do in the garden. They are to work and to keep it. On the seventh day, he rests. And it's not that we're told that the week starts over again. Right. Yeah. Totally. The idea of rest, I've, I've heard it put this way. And this helps me to understand what it means then is that rest is like if you move into a house and you have all of this work to do, putting everything in order, making sure that you're working with your family and stuff, you work to put it in order. And then the rest that you have afterwards doesn't mean that life just stops, that you just no. sit in a chair and you don't move and yeah. you like <laughs> hold yourself still. The rest comes from knowing that that work is done. Totally. And then the relationships that happen within that structure then are good and they bring life. Totally. So I think that's the idea behind Sabbath, right? So like even Jesus and his disciples got in trouble for picking grain from a field. Totally. Uh, and they weren't even considered the owners of, they weren't the owners of those fields. Yeah. And, and so even it's funny because in Jewish law, there was actually room for people to do that. It yeah, wasn't totally. considered work. It was just food. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I we can take those things to the nth degree and they still don't provide righteousness. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so hopefully that helped answer the question and maybe we'll move on. All right, so we are going to jump into our second question and it kind of carries on because it's the, the very next passage in Matthew. Someone asked, I don't think I have ever heard a sermon on Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. Verse 22 seems to be saying more than just casual name calling. 
but maybe the most, the most vile name one could use at the time. This seems to be a result of a deeply rooted feeling that could potentially slip into murder. Then verse 23, therefore, before things get so bad that you consider mur murder, try and make things right. Peter asked how many times to forgive if his brother comes to him. Jesus seems to say, even if he doesn't come to you, you need to go to him. Is that is what is being said here? So murder is not the point, but it's the relationship, which seems obvious now that I say it. <laughs> Boom, question answered. So let me just read the passage. Yeah. I love that as the person's asking the question, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm answering it myself. That's yeah. amazing. So it says, Jesus continues on. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Uh, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So again, I think we've touched on it a little bit. Yep. That the Old Testament law was, well, don't murder people. And Jesus actually takes it a step higher. Yeah. And he turns it inward onto your own heart and says, like, if you're angry with someone, if you call them, you fool, raka, right, yeah. is the word. One of the ways I heard that translate is, like, you empty-headed person. Yeah, it's like a pretty big insult. I don't think necessarily what this person asked, like, is it just because it might become murder? I don't think so. I think what Jesus is saying, and he's because later on, right in the Gospels, Jesus says, "You think that you're this is my paraphrase you, that you're polluted from all of these outside things. Actually, it's out of your heart yeah. that sexual morality, anger, yeah. lust, da da da. That's where it comes from. So I think Jesus is saying the same thing. Like you could say, so like for instance, I could say like I am so mad at Corland and I hate him." And I'm bitter against him, mm -hmm. and I hope that he dies. But I've never murdered I'm him. I'm squirming in my seat over here. Well, yeah, this <laughs> is like a venting session. Yeah. <laughs> but right, I could say, but I've never murdered him. Yeah. I think the whole point is Jesus is saying, "Oh man, your heart is so wicked." Yeah. Yeah. You, if you're if you're that angry with someone, you might as well go murder. It's the same thing yeah. as what Jesus is saying. So I don't think he's saying necessarily like, "Watch out, it might slip into murder." I think Jesus is saying your heart is really, really sick. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Are you, do you have thoughts on that? Like, yeah, I, I agree. I think that it is like the, what Jesus does is drives deep to the heart of the issue. Mm -hmm. So I, I think like one of the practical questions we can ask is does every single person that murders someone hate that person? Like think of the school shootings that happen. Sure. Some of those kids that do that, some of the people that don't do that don't know anyone or sure. know one person in the school. So could you, could you say that that person hated the people that they killed? Well, yeah, cause they didn't, they didn't do the opposite in letting them live. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that these things that Jesus is talking about here is like a personal relationship, like a personal level. So yeah, he drives deep to the heart by saying like you, like yeah. you think that by hating someone and not doing something about it per se is okay. Huh? And I'm telling you that that's not okay. Yeah. Like, like think of it. So <sighs> this is Matthew chapter five and Matthew, what is it? 22. I think where the lawyer asks him uh, of what's the greatest command. The love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Yes, Matthew 22. Yep. Yeah. Those two commands, Jesus sees going hand in hand. Yeah, totally. So if you are not loving your neighbor, yeah. you are not loving God. Yeah. And by not loving God, you will then not love your neighbor. And that is the sin. Yes. Right? Yeah. We, we've talked lots about... Um, I think the language you've used is like the, the manifestation of sin. So what I mean oh, I like by that. that is like, you know... Uh, if you're tempted to do something and you allow you dwell on that temptation, you start acting on that temptation. The manifestation is like the, the physical uh, evidence of that sin. So like totally adultery is the physical evidence of lust yeah. and, and of coveting. Right. Well, even Adam and Eve, what was the sin? We go, they ate the fruit. Yeah. I think that was the manifestation of them not distrusting God. Yeah. 
because they believed a lie about God and then they acted on that, right? Yeah. So it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what Jesus is getting to here is is saying, it, yeah, it's not, again, and, and maybe it's not fully what the person is saying, but it's not the idea that, well, if you hate someone, you might slip into this sin. It's no, that saying, hating someone is, is the, the sin. sin. Yeah, totally. Murder is is literally the death that results from that sin. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Um, that's I think what Jesus is getting at yeah, here. I agree. And so if you're if you're following the laws, then that won't happen. And the laws are meant to change like yeah. not meant to change our heart. I shouldn't put it that way. They're they're meant to expose our hearts. Yeah, totally. Because if you think about the Pharisees, like the Pharisees, Jesus railed against them. These religious people who from the outside, according to the law, kept a lot, like if not all, like Paul even says, like, according to the law, I was perfect. He yeah. says that in Philippians, I believe, or I might, anyways, one of his letters, he says, like, according to the law, I was perfect. So in Matthew 23, Jesus like rails on the Pharisees and he basically says like the, uh, he uses a bunch of metaphors, right? He says yeah. like the outside of the dish is clean, but inside it's full of disgusting garbage. Yeah. He says, the, uh, you you are whitewashed tombs. So on the outside, you look beautiful, but what's but on the inside dead. of a tomb? It's just bones and decaying Death. flesh. So I think that's what he's getting at is, on the outside, never murdered anyone, but man, my heart is full of hatred. Yeah. He's like, the heart is the issue, not just the outward things that you do or don't do. Yeah. So I think that's why he's saying like, now, is there an element maybe when he says like, go deal with it? Uh, come to terms quickly. Maybe, maybe he's saying like, don't let it grow into something worse than it already is. Yeah. I'm not saying perhaps, but I don't think that he's just saying like, Hey, yeah, if you hate someone, just make sure it doesn't lead to don't don't make sure it doesn't get to murder. I think he's saying like the hate is the issue. Yeah. And I actually think that the example, when he says like going to court, hand you over to the judge, the judge is the guard, you'd be put into prison. I don't think he means literally. I think he's talking about hell. Because even in Matthew 18, he gives a parable, very similar language. You owe money and da, da, and you're going to be sent to prison until you can pay it back. Yeah. I think Jesus is saying, like, deal with the hatred in your heart so that you don't become so hard that you go to hell. I think that's what Jesus is getting at, yeah. which is why he's like, like, leave your gift at the altar and go ask for forgiveness so that it doesn't just harden yeah. your heart more and more and more and more. Yeah. So. I think it's one of the, and this is where like, I mean, Christians wiser than me have wrestled with this. I'm sure for hundreds, thousands of years, hundreds of thousands no, of years, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds, comma, thousands of years, not a hundred thousands, hundred comma thousands yeah, 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 of yeah. years, um, where, where, you know, if we have sinned against someone, I, I have been of the personal conviction and I think God has, has convicted me in this way that um, if given the opportunity to repent and to to uh, apologize, to say sorry, to reconcile yourself to that person, to do so. Yeah, totally. I don't know that we'll always get the opportunity to do that per se. So sure. there, there's examples that I can think of maybe, I don't know, maybe we don't have time for them per se, but there's examples that I can think of like mm -hmm. a really practical one. You murder someone. You can't like chances are you can't bring them back and be like, dude, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. Right. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. But I think the idea here is, is like when you are convicted, if you, no matter where you're at in life, if you are convicted of sin, repent. Yeah, totally. Yep. Right. And yep. so if that, if you are living in relationship with someone you've sinned, like if I even here working at the church was to sin against you, Andrew, and I suddenly was convicted about it. The idea is that you don't wait. Yeah, totally. Like deal with it. Deal with it. Yeah, totally. Don't let that fester then. Don't let that fester into death. Go repent and build. I, I think too, like even just if you look at your life, practically speaking right now, whoever's listening and for us, if you think of the things that you've allowed to fester, that you've let grudges sit on, that you've let yourself stay angry at, those things are harder to forgive totally. holistically than totally. something that happens. And then five minutes later, you're like, I am really sorry. I should never oh, yeah. have done that. Yeah. Right. I think that's why Jesus says, um, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Is that Jesus? 
I can't or is that remember. in James? I can't remember. Oh, gosh. Honestly. We're bad pastors. Sheesh. Cut this part out. But whatever, <laughs> right? When it says, like, don't give the devil a foothold. Yeah. I don't think that it's literally, oh, shoot, the sun just set and I didn't deal with. I don't think that's what What happens if you sin at night? Well, exactly. Ah. I think what it's saying is, like, okay, deal with sin and yeah. anger immediately because <laughs> yeah. of that. Because yeah. I know people who didn't deal with anger uh, and then it just becomes bitterness and then it's way harder after 10 years has gone by and I'm angry at so-and-so to go back. Yeah. It's like, it's like poison. Bitterness is poison yeah. and it just, it just, it's awful. So I think that's why the Bible's like, deal with it right away. <laughs> so I don't know for me, this, this kind of thing helps me understand some of these concepts. So maybe I'll share a little bit. Neurochemistry is it points to the same kind of thing, right? Snore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the the uh, the idea that your brain makes pathways by firing neurons totally. for what you're every choice you make, your brain fires neurons. Yep. So say somebody traumatizes you and you're angry at them. If you choose, uh, like anger might be the response that your your body ch- chose that you chose in that moment. And and when mm. I say chose, I don't just mean like like oh you chose to react angry like with anger in that moment in the sense of like you sat there for five minutes to think about it. And then you came to the conclusion we have something called the fight or fight or flight response. Yes. Might've chose fight. Um, but if you choose to stay in that, those neural pathways get stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah, totally. Which means that then whenever you're encountered with thoughts about that person, your brain water flows through the path of least resistance. Basically, mm-hmm. everything does. Your neurochemistry is the same way. Those neurons will fire down the path of least resistance, which means mm-hmm. anger will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be on tap, essentially, right? Yeah. Um, which is why sometimes you respond in a certain way. You're like, why? I didn't. What? Like, yeah. why did I respond yeah, like that? Totally. I know that I shouldn't, but it just happens naturally. Yeah. And so I think like from a really practical standpoint, I think that's part of what's happening is that our mm. hearts, our minds are hardened by the things, the choices that we choose. Totally. So if you've are sin, if you are caught in sin, if you are sin, if you are caught <laughs> in sin, yeah, deal with it. Totally. Don't allow yourself to get a heart that is hardened by yourself or by God. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. I think we've answered that. Boom. Sufficiently. I hope so. All right. All right, we got one more question for this episode, and then uh, that'll be it. So this person asked, I was wondering if you guys would be up for talking. No. Never. It doesn't end there. (laughs) We're always up for talking. About the Spirit interceding for us. I was reading through Romans 8, and it mentions the Spirit and Jesus interceding for us. Since the Godhead is three in one, I was wondering why the Spirit and Jesus need to pray in a sense to themselves. Is it just a way to respect the authority of the Father? So, uh, yeah, do you have it there where it says that the Spirit intercedes for us? Um, I am I'm just skimming, almost there. I'm skimming Romans 8. I can't um, remember the exact verse. Yeah, I know, moment. right? Oh, oh yeah, always. got it. Verse Verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So there's this idea that the spirit intercedes for us when we just don't know what to pray. I'm looking for in Romans eight where it says Jesus intercedes for us. I don't know if it is in Romans eight, if it's another passage, but it also talks about Christ interceding for us as well. So it's a good question. This person goes like, uh, what does that mean? Yeah. And why does, if God is three in one father, son, spirit, why does the spirit have to pray to the father? Isn't that, is he just praying to himself? Like, I think it on one hand, I think, Paul explains it a bit. The spirit intercedes when we don't even know what to pray. And I don't know if if you've ever experienced this, but I've absolutely experienced that where I start praying and I come to God. I'm like, that deep sigh that you uh, do sometimes. And I just, I've literally said to God, uh, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. And it's just kind of (laughs) like, 
yeah, yeah, you just I, feel. It's and actually so I, a really beautiful thing. Like if you think of the emotions in that moment that God has allowed us to feel and the, the, whether it's a deep joy, the deep sorrow, whatever it is, to think that we have the Holy Spirit interceding with the Father for us in those yeah. moments with words like, that we can't have. Because like the Spirit uh, it dwells in believers, right? We, yeah. um, it talks about, Jesus talks about that, sending the Spirit, He will dwell in you. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that God's Spirit dwells in you? So if you think about like believers, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're listening, you are indwelt with the spirit of God. So you have a spirit, but also somehow, right? People are like, where in me is the spirit? Yeah. I don't know, right? In you. In you somewhere, <laughs> but you have your own spirit, but then the spirit of God dwells in you. Yeah. So I view it, and again, this is just me, like this beautiful hypothesizing, it's like when you come to God and in those moments when your own spirit is like, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It's like the spirit of God that dwells in you is like, I'll pray on your behalf. Yeah. Right. And again, what does that look like when it says like it's groaning, you know, without words? I don't know. I don't know what that means. Right. Yeah. Is it just really poetic language? Maybe some have said, oh, is this about praying in tongues? I don't think necessarily. I think I've been in situations where someone's come in and it's like someone died unexpectedly. My marriage just blew apart and an affair happened or whatever. Yeah. I've been in lots of situations and yeah. then it's like, can you pray for me? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I can try. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you just kind of go like, God, I don't, I have, I've got nothing. Yeah. And I think it's just really beautiful. Like you said, that in those moments, it's like the spirit of God praise on your behalf he knows our hearts he, he does. knows those things it's so. like he knows exactly the words that you can't say yeah and then he prays for you now i think the second question is why does that is god praying to himself like yeah what do you think honestly the first thoughts that come to mind on that um is maybe this will sound weird but the beauty of it um so if you think of it christians will often talk about how the trinity has existed for eternity and how the Trinity, how Yahweh is without need for relationship with humans. It's not like he created us cause he was lonely. He had perfect relationship within the Trinity and, and was perfectly satisfied with that, but he chose to create yeah. humans. I actually think that this is an element where we get a hint of that. Hmm. Now, obviously we're included in that, which is beyond comprehension. Yep. But the idea that the Holy Spirit would be communing with the Father in that relationship of the Trinity yeah. on behalf of us, and we see the 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 pieces, the parts of the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity communing with each other in that deep relationship that we as humans will never understand totally. is incredible. So for me, I I don't know. Maybe maybe it's weird, but I just honestly, when I read a passage like that, I sit back in awe, thinking how me, myself, my sinful self, yeah, am am a part of this relationship that God has in with Himself, yeah, and, and get to be invited into that in a way. And again, it's with a groaning too deep for words, so maybe we won't understand it. But like, like just think yeah. about that—a Yahweh, three in one, perfectly satisfied in His relationship, has invited you. The mm -hmm. listener and you, Andrew, and you, me, if we are a <laughs> follower of Christ, yeah, to partake in that in some way, yeah, totally, right? That's incredible. So to me, I, I, yes, there is mystery to how parts of the Trinity communicate with each other and why that happens. Yeah. But I, on a, the only other thing that comes to mind is that we see the the Trinity. Uh, spoken of as the Godhead in the sense of there is God, the father, there is God, the son and the Holy spirit. And I did that in like a three tiered motion because you're listening and you can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so that's w one of the other reasons that I could think of is that, yeah, um, I think they're enacting within their, the way. Yeah. They have roles. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important. So when they, this person asks, like, are they praying to themselves? Uh, no. 
And I think it's really important to remember, like yeah. the spirit is not Jesus. The spirit is not the father. The father is not Jesus. The father is not the spirit. Yeah. Jesus isn't the father. Each person in the Godhead is unique. Yeah. And yet they are Yahweh. one God. And they, there you talked about the mystery of it. So when Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane to the father, well, is he praying to himself? No, no. he's praying to his father. And we yeah. go, but there's one God. Yeah, I get it. But they're separate persons. So when it says the spirit prays for us to the father, the spirit's not praying to himself. He's praying to the father. Yeah. And yet there's only one God. So again, we're getting into like mind boggling things because there's we're getting no- into paradoxes. Yeah. Cause there's nothing in creation that, uh, comes anywhere close to mirroring that kind of yeah. person. Cause God is three and yet one. Yeah. So I think, but it's just really important to remember that it, no, um, Jesus isn't just praying to himself because there's this uniqueness to each person. And then there is um, father, son, and spirit each have different roles. Yeah. And um, you know, the father is the one who planned redemption. Jesus is the one who came and carried out our redemption. And the spirit is the one who applies the redemption to us. So God, the father didn't die on the cross for us. Jesus did. Right. And yet, so they have different roles, right? So one of the roles that we're, we're told in Scripture is that the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit's the one that dwells in us and intercedes for us, not the Father. So it doesn't mean that the Spirit is less God than the Father, but that's just his role, right? So there is this beautiful mystery that you just go, man my brain can't fully comprehend it. It's like, yeah, join the club. This yeah. is the, it should, like you said, Corlin, it should leave you in just awe of who God is. Um, but you also have to just kind of rest in like, okay, I'm not going to fully figure this out. Right. I, um, I think what I would encourage you to do is instead of getting caught on the rest that you can't figure it out, rest. Like It's true. You, you won't figure it out fully because we're human we're but a mere shadow as an image of god we're not god yeah but i would i would encourage you to rest in the invitation to partake in that relationship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like like this isn't just a well i don't get it this sucks it's like man i see the holy spirit interceding for me to to god the father as this like they are one god but they are separate persons yeah that's amazing that they can be in a relationship like that. And the fact that I get to be a part of that, like that's where I would encourage you to rest is, is that awe in that moment, in totally. those moments, instead of, instead of allowing yourself to run down the roads of doubt. Yep. Like we, we serve an all powerful God. Totally. Rest in that. Yep. I think that's good. Maybe we'll end there. This has been episode 98 and uh hopefully that's helpful we answered some of your questions um yeah episode 99 will come out uh over the christmas break and then look out because we have our 100th episode spectacular and uh i should not overhype it it's not gonna be anywhere close to we're gonna have joel osteen on the on the podcast anyways um so thanks for listening Uh, again if you do have more questions or topics you want us to cover, please email or or reach out to us and we'll do our best to answer them. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.